we're going to be careful with his presence right here. Transition. Ross, come ahead. Ross and Sarah, they're coming from Southern International Bible School in Pennsylvania. That's the Bible College of Times Square Church. Many of you know that church was founded by David Wilkerson, followed by Pastor Carter Conlon, now Tim Delina, one of America's and the world's great voices. We want to welcome to Mag Church this morning, Ross and Sarah Beth Kibbedon. Ross, take your liberty. Father, I just want to thank you for your presence in this house. God, what an incredible opportunity we have as the people of God to live in a day and an hour when your presence resides in us, God. To live in a day and an hour when wherever we go, so does your presence. God, there's not a moment in our lives when we have to leave, but I am thankful for special times like this when we're gathered together corporately and, and you just choose to bless us in beautiful, marvelous ways, God. For times like this when you show up in ways that we didn't fully expect or anticipate and you speak to us and you stir us in the ways that only you can, God, I pray that it's something we would never take for granted, God. The opportunity that we have in this generation, in this country to assemble together as believers in Jesus Christ and, and to know your presence, God, to know the glory of your presence on this level, to this degree, my God. God, may our hearts never tire of this. May our hearts never become bored with this, my God. God Almighty, would you consistently, God, just place a hunger and a desire within us, God, to live in moments like this. God, that our hearts would never grow dull or apathetic to you or to what you're doing in the earth, but, but God, that hunger and desire and passion, God, would ever be the characteristic of every heart, God, in this place. God, that we would always long, God, to be a people who live in your presence, my God. Because I believe your word is clear, God, that it's, it's in your presence and, and it's in the presence of one another that exists every possibility of God. God, it's in moments like this where the impossible becomes possible. Where we see you do in and through your people what only you can do. And so God, we just want to say once again, thank you. Thank you today for gracing us with your presence, my God. Thank you for giving us just a taste, just a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. And God, my heart rejoices this morning because if this, in a crooked, cursed, sinful world, if this tastes this good, what's it going to be like when we get there? Where there is no sin and sorrow to taint anything, God, that we experience or do. My God, I, I thank you for moments like this. God, that cause our hearts to just yearn and long for a day when we're going to be reunited with those who have gone before us and we're going to be in your presence forever and forever. God Almighty, we thank you for your presence today. God, I pray that there would not be one person who leaves this house the same way that they came in. God, I pray that as we 
dive into your word today. I pray that hearts and lives would continue to be transformed by the truths of your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we give the remainder of this service to you. And God, you know that in my heart, there's nothing that I would want to do to hinder what you're already doing in this place. And so, Father, I'm just asking that you would continue, continue your work in this place today. God, help us to be sensitive to all that you want to say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Can we just give God one more hand of praise in this house? Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you so much, worship team. God bless you guys. Um, wow, what an honor, truly, it is to, to be with you this morning. Um, it really is such a privilege to be in Mag Church. Uh, for several weeks now, I've been so excited uh, to be with you. And I think already um, the Lord has exceeded uh, my expectations, just the way that He's moving in this place and the way that He's stirring your hearts. I, I just want to say that, uh, that I honor you and I, and I thank God for the work that He's doing in and through your lives and just um, through your obedience, creating an atmosphere where God can move and God can speak to His people. So thank you uh, for your faithfulness. I, I know when I first talked to your pastor over the phone just a couple of months ago, uh, as we were talking and as he was sharing with me about all the things that God has been doing in this church, um, I felt like my heart was about to explode. I, I, I could just sense the presence of God and the things that he was sharing with me. And I even got off the phone and, man, I had, must have had this wild look on my face, this smile from ear to ear, I don't know. But one of my coworkers said, what's wrong with you? What are you so happy about? I, I said, man, I, I got, just got off the phone with this pastor and I, I can't explain it to you, but I, there was just such a sense uh, of God working in that church. And, and I'm telling you, um, it causes my heart to rejoice when I hear of people especially in a generation like ours, uh, people who are still hungry for the presence of God and people who are still experiencing God on the level that you are. And uh, I'm so excited to be with you. And Pastor JR and Sister Heather, we just honor you guys. Thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to be here and all of the leadership. Uh, it really is the delight uh, of our hearts to be here. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter number 13. The book of Acts, chapter number 13. And I, I do pray that you are in the evening service tonight. Um, just for the sake of time, I'm going to wait until tonight to share um, a little bit about Summit International School of Ministry, which is the Bible School of Times Square Church. It's where my wife and I are presently serving and teaching and um, but this morning, I, I really do feel in my heart just to get straight into the Word. And so if you're here tonight, I, I pray that you would just hear uh, for a few moments what God's doing at this school. It really, really is amazing. I want to minister to you this morning from a thought that I have entitled, Don't Stop Short of the Miracle. Don't Stop Short of the Miracle. Acts chapter 13 I'm going to begin reading in verse 2. We'll read quite a few verses through verse 13, um, but it's going to set the stage for where we're going today. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. 
So they, speaking of Paul and Barnabas, being sent forth by the Holy Spirit, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they, when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John, John Mark, to their minister. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer or a magician, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Paul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, withstood them, or he opposed them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O fool of all subtility and all mischief, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. But then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John Mark departed from them and returned to Jerusalem. Don't stop short of the miracle. Let's pray one more time. Father, I thank you, God, with all of my heart for the opportunity to be in this house with this group of believers. Father, I just pray in the next few moments, God, that you would give me clarity of thought and mind. God, that you would give me the ability by your Holy Spirit to clearly and effectively communicate the thoughts and the truths that you've put in my heart for this time and for this hour. God, I just pray that you would give every single one of us in this house and perhaps those who are watching and listening online, that you would give us the ability to see, to hear, and to receive everything that's in your heart for us to receive today. And when it's all said and done, as we do now, we'll be sure to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Acts chapter 13 begins what we now know as the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. And in verses 1-4 through of Acts 13, we see Paul and Barnabas being commissioned and empowered by the Holy Spirit to begin to take the Gospel into the Gentile world. Now, this is not just some good idea or some good plan on the part of Paul or Barnabas. It's clear that after a season of worship and prayer and fasting, they are specifically set apart by the Holy Spirit, and they are sent out by the church to begin to advance the kingdom of God into uncharted territory. For the first time, through Paul and Barnabas and their ministry partners, the kingdom of God would begin to expand beyond its previous boundaries of Jerusalem and Samaria and would begin to make inroads into the Gentile world. Now, the severity or the gravity of this specific call cannot be overstated. Because for the first time in history, people, Gentiles, 
who have only known darkness and depravity, they are about to be introduced to the light and life that can only come through the person of Jesus Christ. It's much like what happens with Jesus when he begins his earthly ministry just after coming out of the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. And the Bible says of him that as he begins his earthly ministry, the Old Testament prophecy begins to be fulfilled that they who sat in darkness saw a great light. This is exactly what God is intending to do now, not through Jesus in the flesh, but by the Holy Spirit through Paul and through Barnabas. That through them, darkness is going to be overwhelmed and overcome, and people are going to be brought into the light and life of Jesus Christ. And so, the, the, the call and the commissioning here, the implications of it are, are really earth-shaking. It, it's, it's the fulfillment. It's part of the fulfillment of what Jesus began to promise His people in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Whenever He promises that after the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they are going to be made effective ministers and witnesses in the world. Where Jesus promises His, his followers this divine power to be able to facilitate the establishment and the advancement of His kingdom in the world. Where Jesus promises, in some measure at least, that through their lives, through the lives of ordinary, simple people, darkness was going to begin to be upended and uprooted in the uttermost parts of the world. This is the call. This is the commissioning that Paul and Barnabas are now assuming. And so they leave Antioch in Acts chapter 13, which was sort of like ministry headquarters. They leave Antioch with this same call, with this hope and this desire to see the promise of Acts 1 and 8 come to fruition through their lives. And as we begin reading about their journey in Acts 13 verses 4 and 5, um, we see that their journey starts mostly uneventfully. They're traveling from one town to the next, and they're preaching about Jesus. Um, things are going pretty well, so well that um, we're introduced to a man, a young man by the name of John Mark, who even joins them along this journey. And so things are going well. They're preaching Jesus, they're evangelizing, they're advancing the kingdom just like they were sent out and set apart to do. But whenever we get to verses 6 through 8, there's a dramatic shift in the story. When we get to verses 6 through 8, what we find is that there is a demonically inspired sorcerer, a magician, a false prophet that is beginning to oppose their mission. And it's very clear, Luke doesn't mince words, it's very clear as to what this demonically inspired man is trying to do. This demonically inspired man is trying to discourage Paul and Barnabas in their calling, and he's trying to dissuade the people that could potentially hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's trying to dissuade them from hearing the truth and ultimately finding, finding freedom because of it. And so it's very clear that this man who's inspired by darkness, who's inspired by hell, 
He's trying to do two things. Discourage the people of God and dissuade those who could potentially be the people of God from hearing and receiving the truth of the gospel. Man, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? But beloved, what I want to say to you as we begin to trek through this passage of Scripture is this. Heavenly advancements never come absent of hellish adversity. Heavenly advancements never come absent of hellish adversity. When the kingdom of God is truly expanding, what it also means is that the kingdom of hell is truly diminishing. Whenever God begins advancing us and expanding this sphere of His influence through our lives, oftentimes the enemy is going to do everything that he can to begin to oppose that. Whenever God sets His hand upon us in new, unique, powerful ways and God is beginning to speak to us new promises about things that He wants to do through our lives that would bring Him glory and would bring people into the freedom of Jesus Christ, hell is going to immediately begin to oppose that which, is, that which God is doing and intending to do through our lives. And the reason that hell opposes it is twofold. It's number one, to rob you and I as believers of the blessing of God. But secondly, it's to rob others of experiencing the blessing of God through us. And so this is why Satan fights. It's to rob us of what God has said, of what God is doing. And it's to rob others from experiencing the life that God has given us that He intends to affect them. Look at what the Bible says, Acts 13, verses 7 and 8. It says that Sergius Paulus was a prudent man. He was an honorable man. And he called for Barnabas and Paul whenever he heard that they were coming into his territory. And listen, he desired to hear the Word of God. There was something in his heart that bore witness to what they were doing. There, there, there was something in him that said, I, I've never quite heard a message like this. I, I've only known paganism all of my life. I've only known the worship of many gods. I've, I've only known other things. I've, I've, I've not heard a message quiet like this. And so there was something in him that was moved to say, hey, bring those guys over here. I want to hear the Word. But Elymas, the sorcerer, withstood or opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. You see, although unseen and often undetectable, the Scriptures are clear, beloved, that there are real spiritual forces in the world that are constantly seeking to oppose the forward progress of God's kingdom through our lives. Every day that we live, there are hellish assaults awaiting us, trying to keep us from being the people that God has called and destined for us to be, and trying to keep others from receiving what God has given us. And you see, we, we like the idea of advancement. We like the idea of growth. We like the idea of God something doing something new and fresh and unique in and through our lives. We love the idea of advancement. But often we like the idea of advancement absent of adversity. We want advancement, but we don't want adversity. 
But I would suggest to you this morning that there is no such thing as true spiritual advancement absent of hellish adversity. When we are committed to being used by God for the sake of defeating darkness, we should expect, we should anticipate, we should prepare for opposition. It shouldn't be something that's uncommon or unordinary to us. Peter said it like this in 1 Peter chapter 4, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has come upon you. It's the natural consequence of being touched and used by God in a world that hates God. It's, it's the natural outcome, it's the natural result of being touched by heaven in a world that is mostly ruled by hell. And so it's not something that should be unordinary or uncommon. However, it's imperative that you and I as believers in Christ, it's imperative that we don't begin to equate that opposition with heaven's absence or indifference toward us. It's imperative that when we begin to experience opposition, that we don't begin to equate that opposition with God's absence or indifference toward us. Hellish adversity does not indicate heaven's absence or inactivity. I want to say that again. Hellish adversity does not indicate heaven's absence or inactivity. Beloved, many times the presence of opposition is evidence that God is with us and that God is intending to impact people through our lives for His glory. Satan only opposes that which is a threat to him. Satan does not oppose that which God is not intending to prosper. And so sometimes, beloved, the fact that there is opposition is a good sign that God is near and God is actively at work in and through your life by the power of His Holy Spirit. Some of you have had an Acts 13 experience. Some of you have had the Acts 13, 1-4 experience where you've seen God set you apart. You were in a service, perhaps like this morning, where the Spirit of God came and, and moved in power. And, and there was something in your heart in a new, fresh way that was convinced of the reality of God and of the reality of, of Him actually being able to use your life for His glory and for His purposes in the world. You, you've sensed the calling of God. You've, you've, you've sensed God whispering to you that He's able to take you out of your weakness and out of your inability and, and do something in and through your life that only He can. You, you've sensed this calling and this empowerment of God. You've sensed the, the truth that there's an anointing on your life to, to undo the works of hell and, and to forward the kingdom of God in your generation. You, you've sensed it. You've known it. Perhaps in an altar somewhere, perhaps in a prayer closet, perhaps while you're driving down the road one morning on your way to work, but you've known the calling and the anointing of God. But perhaps in this season, you're beginning to have that calling and that anointed, that anointing contested and challenged. 
you would say, man, I've never fought hell like I've fought hell since I've said yes to what God wants to do through my life. I feel like I've come into something new, something fresh. God has spoken to me in revelatory ways. He's shown me things about Himself and His plans for my life that I never thought or dreamed could be possible. But since I said yes to who God is and, and what He wants to do through my life, I've never fought hell to the degree that I've fought it right now. Beloved, can I say to you that this is not an uncommon or unordinary part of the Christian journey. There are many who have gone before us who have fought the same fight that you are presently fighting in this moment and in this hour. And the temptation when we are overwhelmed by opposition, when we are confronted by things that want to rob us of what God is doing through our lives, when we are confronted by things, weaknesses, insults, hardships that want to keep us from being everything that God has called us to be to our family and to our generation, there's a real temptation to begin to fight the wrong fight. There's a real temptation to begin to doubt the calling and the activity of God in your life. And there's a real temptation to just begin to withdraw from the fight altogether and go back to where you came from. I'm not like a, a three points and a prayer type of preacher, but there are three things that I do feel are important for us to take from this text that I believe are going to help us in the fight that we're presently in. And maybe for some of you, this is not a right now word. Maybe you're not in the place of opposition and experiencing hardship because of your faith in Christ. But mark my words, if you've never tasted it before, the day will come when you know that kind of a season. And I just pray that maybe if it's not a right now word, you stick it in your pocket and you hold on to it for the future. But I think there are three things that we need to take away from this text. Three things we need to remember not to do when we are challenged or contested. Number one, don't begin to view people as your enemy. Don't begin to view people as your enemy. Secondly, don't forget what God has done in your life. Don't forget what God has done in your life. And thirdly, don't withdraw from the fight and go back. Three things. Don't begin to view people as your enemy. And I'll elaborate in just a moment. Don't begin to view people as your enemy. Don't forget what God has done in your life. Don't withdraw from the fight and go back. Speaking to the first point. When all hell begins to break loose, we have to be wise and mature enough to discern that our battle is not with people, but with principalities. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, things that, although unseen, are fiercely opposed against you and I. What I love about the story is that although Paul addresses the magician, although he addresses the sorcerer, um, Paul looks beyond the sorcerer himself and he actually sees 
the power that is at work behind the sorcerer. Paul looks at him and says, hey, you son of the devil. That word son, it indicates that his source, his influence is from another world. That he's not even operating in his own mind or according to uh, just human estimation. That there's something that is at work behind him that is trying to oppose what God is doing through the lives of Paul and Barnabas. And Paul looks at him and I believe he's like, yo, I'm not going to exhaust all of my energies just fighting you when the real problem is what's working behind you. It's, it's, it's not really you that is opposing the forward progress of God's kingdom. There is a power at work behind you. And I realize that I've been given otherworldly power that is greater than the otherworldly power that's working behind you. The enemy may be unseen, it may be undetectable, but I can perceive what he's up to and God has given me power to be victorious over him. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, through that though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. This is the anointing and the power that God has given us. It's not to fight against or to berate people. It's to fight against the power that is at work in this world that is trying to keep the kingdom of God from advancing like God wants it to. That's the power we've been given. 1 John 4 and 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There's a power that is at work within the church that is greater than the greatest power that Satan would offer against the church. There's a power still, beloved, in the church of Jesus Christ that triumphs over even the fiercest and uh, most uh, significant works of darkness in our generation. This is what Paul knew. This is what Paul believed. Paul said, I'm not going to waste my time fighting people. I'm going to spend my time fighting hell because that's the power that God's given me. Secondly, we cannot begin to question the calling and the activity of God in our lives just because we are opposed. I don't know, it may be conjecture that it entered into Paul's mind, but I know it entered in the minds of some who were traveling with Paul. The question entered their minds, man, are we cut out for this kind of stuff? You know, like we, we were just trying to do good, just trying to preach Jesus, just trying to advance the kingdom, and here we are having to deal with devils. Here we are having to deal with demon-possessed people. Here we are having to deal with people who are fully, um, fully under the influence, um, not of things in this world, but under the influence of hell itself. We're just trying to preach Jesus, and there's demons and devils and darkness and all of these kinds of things. And maybe not for Paul, but I know for some in Paul's party, there were some who were beginning to question, like, did, did God really call us here in the first place? Did God really call us and commission us to do this kind of a thing? If God really called us, if God is really with us, then why are we so opposed? 
I don't know if Paul was beginning to think that way. Perhaps he was because he's a man just like me and you. But I I do believe at some point something came into Paul and Barnabas that said, hold up. We're not going to give way to that doubt and that uncertainty. We're not going to give heed to the voices that say that God has not prepared us for this moment. No, we're going to remember that God has called us and God has equipped us for this moment. The Spirit of God is upon us and the promise of God to us is that He will never leave us nor forsake us. Maybe we're alone. Maybe we're opposed, but we are not alone. Come on, somebody. Maybe we're experiencing opposition, but we're not having to do it by ourselves. God is with us. Even if other people want to turn and go back, the truth of the matter is that God is with us and God is working through us to advance His kingdom in the world. Beloved, when you're attacked by hell, I know it's very simple, but when you're attacked by hell, don't forget you've been anointed by heaven. Don't forget that you've been anointed by heaven. And the anointing of the Holy Spirit on your life makes the impossible possible. The anointing of the Holy Spirit in and through your life makes the impossible possible. And thirdly, Don't withdraw from the fight and go back. Can you imagine if Paul and Barnabas had allowed this demon-possessed man to cause them to turn back? Like, yo, forget this. God must not be with us. You know, this is too much. This is too dark. This world is too depraved. We're not going here. But as I read this story in hindsight, And I know what God did through their lives following this experience. I say, thank God they didn't turn back. Because sometimes God is working the most powerfully when He is working the most undetectably. Sometimes God is working the most powerfully when we cannot immediately perceive or understand what He is doing. I want you to think of this. If Paul and Barnabas had given up because of the opposition at hand, the proconsul would not have gotten saved. We get to the end of the story and we find out that the man who was seeking to hear the Word of God actually gives his heart and life to Jesus Christ. But if they stop because of the opposition, The man doesn't experience the salvation that God is intending to bring to his home and to his family. Although they could not see it or perceive it, God was actually creating an avenue through this opposition, through the hardship that they were having to experience. God was actually creating an avenue through which he could reveal himself to the man that was seeking after him. Not only do Paul and Barnabas triumph over the works of darkness, but God actually uses the very thing that Satan had created to hinder them to convince this unsaved man of the Gospel. The very thing that Satan was trying to use to dissuade this man, God shows up and uses that very thing to shame the devil and to bring this man salvation. Look at what verse 12 says. When he saw what was done, 
When the proconsul saw the power of God put on display through the lives of Paul and Barnabas, the man then believed being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. God takes what the enemy meant for Paul and Barnabas' harm and He actually uses it to facilitate the advancement of His kingdom through their lives. This is why you cannot quit and go back, beloved. Because oftentimes our triumphs over the works of darkness, they become the avenues through which the world around us becomes convinced of the realities of Christ. Our triumphs over the works of darkness become vehicles through which God displays His power and His glory to the people around us. Not only is adversity a normal part of God's plan in advancing us, sometimes it's a necessary part. Adversity creates the conditions necessary for us and for others around us to know the power and the presence of God in ways like we've never known before. Opposition is not a sign of God's inactivity or indifference towards you. Sometimes opposition is a sign that God is about to do some of His greatest works in and through your life. Works that hell wants to keep you and others from experiencing at all costs. And I know in my heart that God is speaking to someone today. You must believe opposition, though fierce, I'm not downplaying it, it's not a sign always of God's absence or inactivity. Sometimes it's God creating an opportunity for you and the world around you to know His presence and His power in a way like you've never known it before. This man was only able to know the power of the kingdom of God because God allowed this demon-possessed man to oppose Paul and Barnabas. And once he saw with his eyes what the power of God was able to do through simple, ordinary human vessels, his heart became convinced of the reality of Jesus and what He's done on the behalf of the world. Their hardship became the avenue through which people were brought in to the kingdom of God. God takes the very thing that Satan meant for their downfall and their destruction and He uses it to further His kingdom through their lives. Imagine if they cease because of opposition. Not just the proconsul being saved, but Acts 13 is just the very beginning It's just the very outset of what God is doing through the lives of Paul and Barnabas. Not only does the proconsul not get saved if they lay lay down and quit, but think of all of the cities and all of the people that come after this experience that would have missed out on what God wanted to do through their lives had they laid down and had they quit. If Paul stops in Paphos, he never reaches the multitudes in Poseidia, Iconium, or Lystria. 
If Paul stops in Paphos, he never reaches those in Philippi, Thessalonica, or Corinth. If he stops here, so does the kingdom's impact through his life. I do know that the opposition was so fierce that one man by the name of John Mark actually bails because of the opposition. It says in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, that John Mark left them and he went back. Have you ever thought of this? Can you imagine the regret that John Mark dealt with for the rest of his life? Yes, John Mark was saved. And yes, later in his life, he would actually become profitable again to the Apostle Paul and to his ministry. But because of his refusal to go forward, John Mark misses out on some of the most incredible miracles of God that this world has ever seen or known before. It's said of Paul in Ephesus that unusual miracles were worked through Paul and his ministry partners. Unordinary, unexplainable things happened through their lives by the power of God. Not because they were good or perfect or they had it all together, but, but, but because no matter what came, they, they continued to move with God. No matter what came, they said, God, we're not going to allow this to stop us. We're, we're going to believe that You're going to be with us and You're going to build Your kingdom through our lives. John Mark misses out on some of the most incredible miracles that this world has ever known because he equated hellish adversity with heaven's absence. The rest of his life, hearing about the miracles that God works through Paul, but not seeing or being a part of them himself because he allowed opposition to turn him back. 2017, my wife and I, we moved from Baton Rouge, Louisiana to Central East Mississippi where we began to pastor a church. And um, just a few months after moving to Mississippi, my wife began to become incredibly ill. And um, you would just have to know us. We're young pastors. We're pastoring for the first time in our lives. And you know, all of our lives, both of us, at least to some degree, had felt as though there would come a day when we would serve God in full-time ministry. We always sensed the calling and the anointing of God on our lives to serve God's people in, in that kind of a capacity. And so when the opportunity presented itself, although trepidatious, although somewhat fearful because we were so young, we, we also were very excited at the thought of, of serving God in this new place. And we went to Central East Mississippi with all of the hopes and dreams of bringing revival to this region and seeing God work in the miraculous and all of these hopes and aspirations that came to Mississippi with us. But as I said, a few months after getting there, my wife begins to become incredibly ill. So ill that by the beginning of 2018, she completely loses her ability to walk and she actually winds up in a wheelchair. And so here we are, my wife and I and our two little girls who at the time are 18 months and three years old, 
trying to do what God's called us to do, to the best of our ability, obeying the voice of God and following Him into the unknown, believing that He's going to do great things through our lives. But now I'm going to church most Sundays by myself with my two little girls. Because most days my wife was so sick that she could hardly lift her head off of the pillow. And you know, this was supposed to be a team effort. This was supposed to be something that we were called into and that we did together. But oftentimes it was something that we were hindered from doing in the way that we thought we were going to do it. And I remember those first couple of months struggling to understand, struggling to make sense of why we were going through the things that we were going through. I remember so many days fighting the temptation to just quit and throw in the towel. Fighting the temptation to say, you know what, maybe this wasn't God's plan. Maybe we just presumed that it was and we jumped out on our own and we planned this all ourselves and God is not with us and God's not for us. And so what's the use of all this? We might as well throw in the towel and go back and forget about the call of God. Forget about the kingdom of God. I can't tell you how many days I I wrestled with some of those thoughts. But in that season of discouragement and despair where we were being viciously opposed by hell, because you see, even if hell is not the author of the things you're experiencing, hell has a way of creeping in and trying to use those things to convince you that God's not with you or God's not for you. And that's what's happening. I believe that God, uh, for whatever reason, had allowed this into our lives, but hell was creeping in there and trying to convince us that this was a sign of God's absence or inactivity. And I remember struggling, but in the midst of that struggle, in the midst of that discouragement, God began to speak to both of us. And God began to say to us that although you cannot see it or perceive it, I'm doing something behind the scenes. I am at work to do something in and through your life that you cannot do for yourself. And if you will trust me, and if you will believe me, I'm going to do something through your life that is going to shame hell and is going to bring me glory. I'm going to do something in you and through you that is going to speak to the faith of people in your future. People that you've not even met yet. People that you can't even see yet. I'm going to do something in and through your life that speaks to even them. That introduces them to the reality of the power of God in the life of a human vessel. And thank God I didn't quit. A couple of years later, we stepped down from pastoring because my wife was still so ill. But then in 2019, we began to feel as though God was calling us again to a a transition point, and we're not sure as to exactly what's happening, but eventually God calls us in 2020 to Summit International School of Ministry. It's the Bible School of Times Square Church. And one day we're sitting at dinner just a few months after being there with our pastors, Pastor Carter and Teresa Conlon, and out of nowhere, Pastor Carter looks across the table at us and he says, guys, this is going to be the year that Sarah gets out of the wheelchair. Now mind you, it's been three years at this time. Three years of her being totally bound to a wheelchair. Three years of people praying for us. Three years of seeing doctors and specialists and all these different things. Three years of of going through the motions of trying to find a solution all to no avail. And this man looks at us and he says, 
I'm not praying for God to do this. I know that God is going to do this. And as hard as it was for me to believe in the moment, because against all natural estimation, it was impossible. But as hard as it was for me to believe in the moment, I I took it as the Word of God and I began to say, God, if this is You, I trust You. If this is You, I believe You. Six months later, I was was in my office and we live on the campus of the Bible school and it was about 10.30 in the morning and uh, July uh, of, of 2021 and I'm sitting in my office and I get a phone call and on the other end of the line is my wife and she's sobbing uncontrollably. And husbands, you'll know, the first thing you hear your wife sobbing on the other end of the line, you're like, man, this is bad, right? Any husbands can testify to what I'm talking about. This is not good. This is bad. Um, And she's just weeping. She's not saying a word. And I'm like, what's going on? I'm trying to get words out of her. And the first thing she says to me is, you have got to get home now. That's the first thing she says. And I'm like, wow, that helps a lot. Um, I'm still scared to death. I still don't know what's going on. Um, And I'm like, Sarah Beth, you have to tell me, find a way to get it out. What's going on? And all she said to me were two words. I'm walking. I'm walking. I said, what? I took off from where I was working. I ran to my house as fast as I could. And for the first time in three and a half years, as I opened our front door, I watched as my wife was walking all over our house, completely unaided, no wheelchair, no walker. She had been fully healed by the power of God. Totally and completely healed. Stand up. And this is her today. After three and a half years of being bound to a wheelchair, I walked in and she began to tell me about how God had met with her an hour earlier and He told her to stand up and begin to to walk. And and this morning as I'm reading this text and I'm I'm thanking God that Paul didn't quit, I, I started to thank God that I didn't quit. I, I started to thank God that He gave me the grace to not give up. Because can I tell you something this morning? I'm living in things that I once dreamed about. I'm walking in things that at one time I could only dream about. I'm I'm living in ways that I never thought possible. I'm, I'm seeing things with my own eyes that the devil convinced me not were just improbable, but absolutely impossible. And beloved, I just want to encourage you this morning, don't quit before the miracle comes. Don't quit before the breakthrough comes. Don't quit before your sons and daughters are brought into the kingdom of God. Don't quit before your grandchildren are set on fire by God. Don't quit because the opposition is hard and fierce. Don't quit before the miracle comes. Don't give up before you begin to see God move in power and in glory. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Don't stop right here. There's people in your future that need what God is doing in your life right now. There's people that need to know the reality of the power of God. And the only way they're going to know it is if you allow God to show it to them through you. It's the only way. Singers and musicians, would you guys mind just coming back? Here's the greatest miracle is that God can take our mess and He can create 
an incredible message with it. When you endure, when you say yes to God despite the opposition, there's a grace and an anointing that comes upon you. And God actually makes you the message that this world desperately needs to see. It's more than you just standing up and preaching a message to your family at Thanksgiving or Easter or Christmas. It's more than just trying to interject the Gospel into your blessing at Easter dinner, even though that's phenomenal. When you say yes to move with God despite the cost, your life becomes the message that the world needs to see. And when they see the power of God at work, when they see God giving you the grace to endure and to hang on, when they see that you have joy amidst hell and suffering, when they see that there's something in your life that they cannot replicate through their carnal or fleshly means, when they see that God is at work in you and through you despite what you've faced and what you're presently going through, they're going to believe that God is real and that God is able to do in their lives what He's done through you. Don't quit, beloved. Don't stop now. I'm telling you, by the Spirit of God, there's people in your future who need what God is attempting to do in and through your life right now. There's people years down the road that need a testimony of what God's power and grace is able to do through the life of a human vessel. There's people that you cannot see in your future that are waiting on you to tell them that there's hope in Jesus Christ. There's children in your future that are waiting on you to be able to say to them that God will give you the strength that you need to go through what you're going through. Don't stop now. Don't give in young people. Don't stop. No matter what comes against you, no matter what opposes you, you've got to keep going. There's calling. There's purpose. There's anointing on your life. Don't you ever forget it. Don't let the devil rob you of what God has done and is doing through your life. You mark my words, if you'll walk with Jesus, God will do more in and through your lives than you ever thought or dreamed possible. You mark my words. You'll remember this years down the road. When God begins to work through you, when God begins to convince others of the reality of Jesus because of the miracles that He's doing in your life, you'll know that it was worth it. You'll know that it was worth it. Father, I thank You with all of my heart. Would You stand with me all over the house of God today? God, I thank You with all of my heart for Your grace, God, to endure. I thank You, God, that there is a power that is at work within us as Your people that is greater than the power that's at work in this world. God, I pray today that instead of opposition being the reason why we quit, let opposition be the reason why we move forward today. Let opposition motivate us. I, I know it sounds radical, but God, let opposition actually motivate us to believe that, God, You are at work and You're doing something incredible in and through our lives that hell is absolutely terrified of. God Almighty, let it be a sign to us that You have not left us and You have not forsaken us. Let it be a sign to us, God, that there's more for us in our future than what we've known in days past. 
God let it be a sign to us as it was for Paul and Barnabas that there are many who are going to be brought into freedom as a result of what you do through our lives. That's why hell hated those men. That's why he opposed those men. Because even hell could see something that they couldn't yet. Hell could see that they were about to turn the world upside down for the glory of God. And hell would do anything and everything to stop them. But God, I thank you. I thank you for Paul. I thank you for Barnabas. God, I thank you for the grace that you gave them to continue the mission that you called them to. And my God, if there's one person, just one person in this house today, God, who needs that same grace, that same hope to be able to move forward, God, would you give it to them today? God, would you infuse them with life to be able to get up from their discouragement and despair? God, maybe they do feel like they're down and out. Maybe, maybe they can't sing with us as we sang this morning that when I woke up this morning, my mind was set on Jesus. Maybe it's the hardest thing for them to be able to muster those words today. But God, I pray that in this place of community, you're going to meet them. And God, you're going to give them a song to sing. God, in the midst of their storm, in the midst of their suffering, you're going to give them the ability to believe that you are present and you are presently at work in them and through them to shame hell and to forward the kingdom of God. My God, would you minister to the hearts and lives of your people today? And you know, lastly, I want to just say to you, maybe, maybe you're not Paul and Barnabas. Maybe you're John Mark. Maybe you have turned back. There's hope for you today in Jesus Christ. If you've turned back, there's an opportunity to turn back from turning back. There's an opportunity to get back on the path of following God. And God will meet you right where you are. And God, by His Holy Spirit, will begin to do in and through your life things that you never thought or dreamed could be accomplished through you. And maybe you're not John Mark. Maybe you're Sergius Paulus. Maybe you're the person who says, for a time now, I've, I've been seeking after God, but there's been all these things getting in the way of, of my seeking after God. And, I, and I've put it off for some time now because of all of these distractions and, and hindrances, and I've, I've not fully given my allegiance to Jesus. Can today be the day? May, may my life and my story serve as a testimony to you that God is real. And that God is able to do in and through the life of ordinary human vessels everything that He's promised in His Word that He can do. Let the fact that my wife is standing here today after three and a half years of being crippled, let that be the evidence that you need that God is real and that God is at work in this generation. Don't hesitate. Say yes to God. And so if you're in one of those categories, I'm just going to ask you to find a place in this altar. You just need the strength of God. You need to make things right with God, whatever it is. I want you to come, and it would be the delight of my life to be able to pray with you today. And so as the team begins to sing, why don't you come?